Scribes Journey is supported by our patrons. Join them today at patreon.com slash scribesjourney. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Scribe's Journey of the Three Scribes. I am Travis Croken, the Calm Scribe. I'm LJ Stanton, the Pedantic Scribe. I'm TR Albee, the Oddball Scribe. How are you both doing tonight? I almost always answer this with excellent, so we'll just go with I'm doing well and very excited about this topic. I agree. I see the world in front of me and I can't wait to build it. It's right there. So. Oh, very well segue. Thank that you. Thank beautiful. you. I thought that was a good going in. Big way. Right segue. in. Yeah, that is fantastic. So with that in mind, this episode, we're going to be talking about world building. Last episode, there was no book of the month. The book of the month and your homework both tied in together. And it was go to a world building website like Campfire or World Anvil or go get a book on world building or just use paper and play around with world building yourself and just take a look at what is involved because that is such an in-depth topic. There is a ton of things that we can go over. We're not going to be delving in deep into world building. We're going to be doing a higher up overview of what world building is. So with that in mind, let's discuss our forms of world building because there is no book to give our opinion on. So LJ, what do you use for your world building? So I did most of my world building just in Scrivener. And then I discovered Campfire after I had gotten most of my world building done. And I am currently working on moving everything over into Campfire so that I can have a more useful tool that helps provide a little bit of extra tools that Scrivener doesn't necessarily have, both for me and for patrons and, and whatnot. So that's that's kind of where I'm at currently. How about yourself, Ted? A lot of it's just done by creating my own templates, different templates for characters, for the world itself, different towns. I don't really trust putting it on online yet. The tech guy is not advanced. Yes, I know. It's okay. We'll forgive you for that. Thanks. I appreciate it. And for myself, I actually use World Anvil. I like World Anvil for its capabilities of what it has. You can do character design. You can do your timelines. You can do world histories. You can do your world building, a whole bunch of things like that. And the level of world building I do will depend on what we're writing. So for the current project that I'm working on, The Line of Archonomus, I spent a year in world building and researching before I started writing anything for the story. And there's a reason for that that we're going to get into. Because I use World Anvil, LJ uses Campfire, and Ted uses uh, Stone and Chisel. Stone and and Chisel, that's a good, that's a good, (laughs) pretty much. (laughs) But with that in mind, what is world building? And why is it not just for fantasy authors and sci-fi authors? Why is world building something that everyone should at least dabble with? I love this question because it is something that goes across all genres of writing. It doesn't matter whether you are writing a slice of life in, you know, fiction and lit that is taking place in your hometown with people that are inspired by people that you know, you still have to build that world for your readers. So no matter what you're doing, no matter what you're writing, you have to do some level of world building so that people can understand the place that you've just placed your characters in. 
And that's the basic level of world building is you need to develop your setting. Where is this thing happening? And then when you start going on a larger level, you start expanding from that. And well, what are the religions? What are the politics? What are the people like? What are the cultures? These are all questions that impact your characters and impact your plot that can be often very behind the scenes, but you still need to know them regardless of whether or not even the reader gets to find out. Yeah, I mean, it, it really depends on what you're building. I've never written a short story and did a lot of world building unless it was in a universe that after working with it a little bit, I thought it would be worthwhile expanding. But it is finding where the story has roots. You know, the places you're going to see, the characters you're going to come across, the sounds and the sense that you're going to see while your character is running through a field. Because it could be a different planet. It doesn't have to necessarily be Earth. I mean, two of my series that I'm working on are based in a future version of Earth and a alternate reality of Earth. So I can pull some aspects of what we know what is around us. But at the same time, there are some definite differences so I have to make sure that all those things come into play. I try to make sure that if I'm designing a city, that I know what I'm hearing in the street while they're walking around. If it's in the middle of the woods, you know, are there birds chirping? What type of birds? What type of animals are you see in those places? I haven't really had a chance to delve into creating an entire new world yet. I did that when I was younger. And I know that's going to be a hell of a lot more challenging and I can't wait to do it, but it is what you see, you hear, you smell, and sometimes feel in that world so that your readers can get a better understanding of what you're trying to portray in your story. And that's such a big thing. I couldn't have said it better myself. The important part of writing is being able to paint the picture and have the reader be beside you or beside your character in that scene, looking and seeing the things and hearing the things. And for smaller stories, I don't always. But if I'm doing a trilogy or if I'm doing a series or a very long story, then I find it really helps make the story flow faster. Because if you take a little bit of time, well, you're still fleshing out the ideas to do what LJ and Ted just said and figure out what things, what the soundscapes are, what the landscapes are, then that that makes it so much easier. You're not in the flow of writing this really cool scene and then they come up across this castle in the woods and what does the castle look like? What do the woods look like? What are the animals in the woods? And now you're pausing and stuttering and losing the th thread that you were on. You have this stuff built. It's great that you can go back and reference. You don't have to clutter up your mind with trying to remember these things. And it creates a richer, denser sense of environment for your readers when they are walking through the book that you've written for them. And world building helps you even with the language that you can use in your world with your, your characters. So like I have built an entirely different world and there's nothing in common with anything on earth. So I have to be really careful with some of the language that I use and some of the shortcuts of language that you use and all of those things. Because if you're not careful, you start making, you know, allusions to things that don't exist in your world. You know, there was a, a Star Wars book that came out that talked about something like a cell phone. And it was the like, hold up, there aren't cell phones. Why is this being described like a cell phone? Why is this happening? And it just cuts you out of the world because the world building with that particular author wasn't there. They couldn't figure out a better way to describe it that could keep you in the world. It's something that is really important to do when you're world building is be cognizant of what's in your world and what's not in your world. So you don't run into hiccups like that. And those little things like Algie just pointed out with the cell phone can be huge. People will really, really, really grab onto these things. 
Yeah, for the series that I'm writing, it's steampunk. So I had to decide at what point in time the technology stopped. So, you know, I maybe stretched a little bit, maybe to 1910. But after that, any technology that existed does not apply. Computers don't exist, but there were mechanical computers that existed that not in the light that we think with the microchips and whatnot. But it doesn't mean, though, that the technology can't advance. So batteries existed. They were structured in a lot different way. It doesn't mean that I can't have batteries. I can make an upgraded version of that battery, but I can't have like a solar cell. But you have to have a cutoff point because you don't want to get mixed up, you know. One of the things I really like, though, that you pointed out, Ted, is that you know that your tech goes up till our current like 1910-ish. But then you started with that as your foundation and are going, okay, this is the battery that we had at this point in time. How can I develop it further if I want it to be developed further? How would it work in this world? And that's one of the things that I know I get to play with because I am writing, you know, Middle Eastern uh, medieval fantasy. So I get to play around with the idea of, okay, there's magic in this world. It's a very normalized thing. How does that affect how technology evolves and develops when you can just use fire magic to, you know, light a room very easily? How is that going to affect the future of electricity and, you know, when certain types of lamps might be coming into use and and all of those kinds of things that feel really strange and esoteric and, and silly to be thinking of in some ways, but really are so immersive when you start reading those kinds of things. Well, a lot of times when people are writing any type of fiction, they're wondering whether or not there's a magic system. I decided that there's no magic. Up front, I was like, this is all technology, all science-based. Even some of the more science fiction, science fantasy type components of my story have a logical explanation in science. When you're building a world, figuring out what technology, figuring out what if you're using magic, and if it fits into your world, all are big, huge components of, of this whole world building experience. They are. The story I'm working on is set over a thousand years in the future on Earth and in another planet. So I'm actually building a whole new planet and everything that goes with it. So I actually, much like Ted, I have to develop brand new technology that is in the future on Earth and that is influenced from the aliens being on Earth. So there's a lot of things you need to dig into and world building really helps you kind of keep track of those things and continue on when you're doing that process. So we know where to start is whatever feels natural and is going to help bring your story forward. And oftentimes that's also what is the driving thing that you need to sort out first. But when do you world build? Do you world build if you're a pantser? Do you world build only if you're a plotter? I know for myself, it's hand in hand. I will begin working on my outline. And as I'm outlining, I'll realize things I need to build and figure out and sort out. And then I'll pause and I'll do some world building. And then my world building will trigger something that's a great idea for the story. So I'll go back to my outline. And then as I'm writing the story, even now, I'm still world building. I'm still outlining. I'm still writing the story. I've got kind of this trifecta going on that is constantly moving around each other. I don't think you can separate world building into its own section or part of the process personally. I think it's something that is a constant. Your world building 
when you're creating your characters because you have to know their history and that history comes from their cultures, their beliefs, the, all of the world. And as you're writing, as Travis said, it's the, you come up with a really good idea. So you take a moment to go write it down and then that triggers a good story idea. So you go and you write that down. It's part and parcel with the process. I don't think that it's something that you can say only plotters do, only pantsers do or anything like that. It's something that every writer does and has to do. And it's an ongoing, constant part of the process. And write it down, whether or not using a program or using spreadsheets or paper or whatever it is, write it down because it does make a difference. Just as when you're writing, you're going back, you're checking your notes, you're checking your outlines, also check your world building. And the other thing that you need to check and make sure you're on top of is your research that you've done for everything. You want to make sure that you research it and that everything kind of lines up smoothly and appropriately, which is a very important aspect of writing and also happens to be the next topic of our next podcast. We are just kings of transitions tonight. I'm just going to tell you right now. This, this is what it is. Yeah. So next episode of the podcast, we are going to be focusing on research. What you should do is find a topic that you're interested in. It doesn't matter if you're a writer. Maybe there's a topic that you're writing about you need to research a little bit more about. Or maybe if you just want to learn something new and you're not a writer, go take some time to research that and or read a book. Probably read a book is better. This is a writing podcast, right? So, but yeah, do some research and uh, learn about a topic that you are interested in, may want to know more about. So now we're actually, we are going to dive into what we're doing for our current projects or our previous books that we've worked on. Ted, do you want to jump in and let us know one of the ones that your projects that you're working on and how you have been working on your world building or some ideas of things that you've done for your world building? Sure. So I'm working on a second project. It's called Codename Space Trash. It's a working title. One of the things that I'm really trying to figure out now is when it's supposed to happen. Originally, I was thinking to myself, it might be 2099 because maybe it would be a good idea to do it in something close to today. And then I realized that 2099 is not that far away. So when 2099 hits, you know, what people are going to be like, well, we'll see on Mark with all this stuff. I want to make it a little bit more expansive, right? A little bit more longer. So part of that world building I'm doing now is trying to figure out the timeline where this fits. And then I started doing some research just the other night about some of the theoretical engines that we have uh, in works that people are developing. And then seeing which ones were logical enough to put inside this space drama kids series, because they have to be able to get from Earth to Mars to the moon to Pluto, which is still a planet. Go Pluto, go. It's a tiny planet. Always in our hearts. Well, look, they, they were, someone has been advocating recently, several, several scientists have been advocating recently that uh, Pluto should be reinstated as a planet status. I agree with them wholeheartedly. But yeah, I think uh, a lot of it was looking at the technology that I wanted to introduce here. I kind of was influenced by this type of technology that the Expanse series has. Because it's similar to the technology that we're still using now, but there are some obvious advancements. But yeah, that's what I'm kind of tackling right now. The technology that I want to go with and the time frame that I want to put this in. Because I want it to at least be around long enough for people to read beyond my son's generation. Which in the time frame I was doing this, I realized that if he lives till 90, he is actually going to be alive in 2106. I'm doing the Which mind is just, blowing. Like, what? Yeah. 2106? <laughs> that is so. kind of terrifying and so neat. It so is. You might have to do yeah. 22 
something. No, I'm not going to go that crazy. I think I think I might go maybe 200 years and 200 years in the future. I think may, maybe go like I guess so 22, 22 something. 22.99. Yeah, maybe not, not, nothing too crazy. I think 2300 like the 23 something is actually when the expanse is based oh. in. Yeah, that huh. series. And the TV show, which I, I love the TV show. Well, I've been looking at the technology there and saying, okay, well, I'm not going to do exactly that. I want to do my own take on it. This is why I write fantasy, because there's enough stuff to research without having to research whether or not this is going to be scientifically possible. So what did you do for your world building then, LJ? Nothing science related. <laughs> I say, except there was a lot more math required for this than I expected when it came to world building because when you're writing something that is a war it's really important to know how large a country you have how large a continent you have how many people are on it so you can figure out how many people can be conscripted into your armies so there was a lot of math and a lot of time spent on different generators that would build towns for me to let me know okay how many in a town of this size would be nobles would be guards would be you know farmers to support something of this size and and whatnot so I could settle and kind of figure out on a continent the size of Shaikal, how many people could reasonably be living there? And then how do I support that when a significant chunk of that continent is desert? And then some of it is, you know, dense tropical rainforest and, and all of those kinds of things. So there was a lot of research going on into different geography so that I could figure out where and how to make all of that function. And then there was a great deal of world building that had to go into religions because it is a monotheistic religion versus a polytheistic religion. And one of the things that I really wanted to do was build a religion that was a minority religion for Westerners, but would be recognizable and identifiable to anyone who is Muslim and Islamic without it being offensive. Because there's so often especially in the West, um, Islam and, and whatnot is villainized, that it was the, I want to write a book that is going to make people double take a little bit on that. One of the greatest things was getting feedback from a reader who is Muslim doing me. This is the first time I've ever seen someone who looks like me, acts like me, dresses like me, and prays like me in a fantasy novel, which was extraordinarily validating and exciting. So World building is just, it's something I'm very passionate about and passionate about doing right so that you can have experiences that are completely fantastical and yet feel real to the reader and feel representative of them, which is hard, but so worth the effort. Definitely is. For myself, the current novel I'm working on is The Lion of Archonomus, and I decided to give myself a ton of challenges when it came to world building. I created a world that has Earth in 3136. Like I said earlier, it's got new technologies that have evolved, old technologies that have fallen off, so I have to decide those things. And I created technologies that humans had developed up to that point, and then the aliens are coming here specifically to help the humans develop newer technologies. And when the story takes place, they had already come for a pre-visit like five years earlier and gave a piece of technology that is already influencing the human technology. But then I also decided I had to solve the problem of how do the aliens communicate with the humans? I created a brand new political structure. Now the world is one entire country run by the World Council of Order. 
and I had to develop how the, the Trinity runs the World Council of Order, what their election patterns are. And I actually ended up having to go back and write out and plan the elections for 90 years to make sure that everything lined up properly. It's never going to show up. I feel that. <laughs> yeah, but I had to do 90 years of elections and then decide yep. who thought what and how they got to this point. And then on top of all of that, I had to create Arctionomus and the aliens that are on Arctionomus. Well, when you design the planet, it's not just aliens running around. There's insects, there's little bugs, there's microbes, there's animals, there's things they hunt, there's things that eat, there's things that hunt them. How do they heat their house? How do they travel? How do they build their houses? What technologies do they use? Do they use magic? I actually use magic through science. So my science is done in such a manner that it looks like magic, but it's all based on science. So they actually use vibrational activation, for example, to get the molecules of rock vibrating at a certain frequency that allows the rock to become malleable. And then they can blend that rock and smear it and shape it into what they want, stop the vibrational frequency, and it solidifies again. And to make things even more difficult for myself, on Earth, the aliens would only contact a race once they have passed what I call the God threshold, where they stop believing in religion. So I had to bring humans to a point where they stopped believing in religion, realize that not believing in religion doesn't work, and rebuild a brand new religion that is a combination of all previous major religions in the world. So I really set out some <laughs> massive challenges for myself in doing this. See, um, you did all this research and you did all this writing and, and world building around it, but it doesn't mean you won't use it, though. That's the nice part, right? It, yeah. it yeah. will. It may actually come up again. And that's what I love about world building. Everything you did, even though it's so expansive and so challenging, it still might come up. That's the beauty of it. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. I loved the fact that, like, you know, I wrote out. I think it was something like I, I have 900 years worth of generations to figure out the Shah's lineage and whatnot. So it was the like, okay, figuring out how long people were living, how who died young, who got to live until they were ridiculously old, all of those kinds of things, and the different wars that happened that were really relevant. And it's neat because now I can go and I can look back and decide, you know, what? I want to write a short story talking about this particular famous person from the history. Or I want to write about the Mage War that happened 600 years ago and is still, you know, relevant today. And all of these things that like when you do enough really good, cool world building, you have some really ready made writing prompts. World building is never wasted is really what I'm trying to get at here is that no matter how long it can sometimes take, it is setting a good foundation so that you're paying your future self forward. Again, it's going, some of it's going to get referenced. Some of it will never be referenced, but it's important. And there's things that you, as you're writing, as you come along, that will come up. Like for myself, when you're writing an entire other planet, there's so many little things you need to figure out. Like what is the day-night cycle? What is the temperature? How long are the days? How many days are in their week? How many days are in their year? How long does it take their planet to, to circumnavigate their, their sun? How big is their planet? And what, well, how, what are the temperature fluctuations? That we take for granted, like go, the sun moves from east to west. Well, does it in this planet, on your planet? Yeah. What does that change in the language, in the religion, in all of these things when, you know, it's so much you get to play around with and it's a lot of fun. It can be daunting, but it's so much fun. So we did already kind of cover over what do you build ahead of time and what can be done afterward. But one of the really big important things you need to do with your world building is keeping notes on it. 
Because like I said, I realized this mistake I was doing myself. I'd reopen my Scrivener. I'd look at what I had done the past chapter or eight or nine paragraphs and get myself back to the mind frame, look at my outline to see where the notes were and where I was for everything. And I wasn't checking my world. I wasn't checking my canon. So there's technology that I introduced, like I said, way too late. There was aspects like really cool, awesome ideas that I just didn't put in because I forgot about them. I have a book Bible. It's a Scrivener document that has all of my world building. And it is separate from my regular writing document for each of my books. But it is my main area to consult everything, which is now going to be transferred over to Campfire so that it's a little bit easier to have it regardless of where I'm writing or what I'm writing on, whether it's my my PC or, or my laptop. It is incredibly important to keep track of all of those things for continuity's sake. There are so many times that I am sitting there and doing the crap. Did I name these things in the last book? Because if I didn't name them in the last book and I'm just talking about them with this new name, as if everybody knows what these things are, that's going to be a problem. Uh, how about yourself, Ted? Do you have any special way of taking notes when you're world building and writing at the same time? Or do you just remember everything like the savant that you are? I, you know, I definitely can't remember anything. Yesterday's a blur, but... Um, you got it chiseled down on that. Uh... <laughs> I, I do. <laughs> right next to my abacus. It's yeah. really nice when I need to do the counting. You know, I, I ran into a similar problem where you weren't sure if you use a, a technology or a word or in there. And I had to go back to the notes. Uh, I generally keep it inside the outline itself of where things are being used. But I misplaced an item. This mm-hmm. book is, an, is a kind of a Indiana Jones type adventure where they find things and it influences their the next part of the story and they have to use it in certain places. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. I use this item here. I use that item there. This item, oh shit, that item I never used. So I had to go back and kind of revise a little bit and say, okay, this item now has a better purpose. And again, a lot of times, most of the time it's in a Word document. There are times that I just use a pad and paper when I'm initially world building before I transfer it to somewhere else. You know, and thankfully I haven't run into any of those other issues yet. One the big note that we need to hit for world building, when you open World Anvil, when you open Campfire, the first thing you're going to do is be overwhelmed. There are so many aspects that go into world building and you don't have to tick all the boxes. You don't have to fill everything in. If your book doesn't deal with religion in any way, shape or form, don't write in the religion. If it doesn't have political structures, don't write in your political structures. If there is no alchemy, don't use alchemy. If there's no magic, don't fill in the magic part. You don't have to tick the boxes. Start with what makes sense. And as the story unfolds, you're going to realize what you need to build. Language is not one of my strong points as far as building a language. So I definitely have done some hand-waving about the fact that this is a unified continent so everyone speaks the same language and that, you know, the other continents, well, there will be some differences to the language, but everyone's going off of the same base language because I'm not Tolkien, I'm not building a bunch of languages and that's not what you're reading my book for. It is something about, you know, know where your weaknesses are and that you don't have to slog through building things that aren't necessarily relevant or that you hate doing because at the end of the day again your world building should serve your story yeah and writing kids books i didn't really focus on the political or religion those are topics that just don't come up in picture books unless it's specifically focused on that type of theme for this i didn't even touch it you know i did some base political history of 
how the country was formed, but nothing like their government structure. Now, with my plan to do novels for older people, adults, right? Older people? Well, I, <laughs> a lot of, all of everything I focus on is, is now for kids, right? So, I mean, but like for adults, right? So their parents to read. I know so I'm going to- Ted's coming for you. I am. Don't worry. I got you. I got you covered. I know that I'm going to have to go back and focus on, are there any religions in the world? Are there any political systems that I need to do? Because they will come up. But for the series as it stands, I don't have to worry about focusing on those things. So for those boxes, I wouldn't even go and check those boxes on World Anvil or, or Campfire. Exactly. And I mean, take a look at them and see what they're all about, because you want to, as when you're world building, you want to keep in mind your world building to add depth and continuity and structure to your story. You're giving it a good foundation for the reader, but you're also giving yourself a foundation. That's why you're doing stuff that may never see the light of day in your books, because that is giving you an understanding of how things work and how things flow. So we do actually have homework for you. I have no good segue. I ruined it. That's not my strong suit. Research, on the other hand, definitely is. So, uh, almost got it even. <laughs> but since we've talked a lot about research and how much research is a part of world building, it really, you cannot do world building without doing some research. So your homework ties into the whole, you know, book of the month aspect of go and find a topic that you're interested in, learn about it. But for you writers, it is to develop some kind of research plan. So what I mean by that is figuring out where you're going to be looking for your different topics of research and then what you need to know from that. So, for example, when I was doing research on religions, contacting different priests, imams, etc., and having a list of questions for them about religion. So it's those kinds of things that you can do to develop your research plan and then go use it when you're trying to find out more about that topic that you picked. Very good point. So with that, I'd like to say thank you to my fellow scribes for joining me tonight. And now, go sharpen your quills and get back to writing. This episode of Scribe's Journey has been presented by Wax Seal Productions Incorporated and remixed by T.R. Elder.